Well, good morning. It's good to uh, be together this morning. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but just a few weeks ago, um, at the Senate confirmation hearing for a Supreme Court uh, justice nominee, Katanji Brown Jackson, uh, was asked a question, can you define the word woman? Do you remember that? She was asked, can you define the word woman? Supreme Court justice nominee, and uh, gender's a pretty big issue in our culture at the moment. And so she was asked that question, and she either couldn't answer it or refused to answer it, but really had no answer uh, that she gave, which then led to the question, you know, what is a woman? And um, since that time, a fellow by the name of Matt Welch has... uh, released a, a really solid documentary that's excellent. If you go online, you can find it, and uh, answers that question of what is a woman from a biblical uh, standpoint, which I think is uh, very helpful in our culture in the conversations uh, that are going on. So <clears throat> I want to ask you this morning a similar question, simple question, it seems to me, but can you define you? How would you define yourself? Can you define you? Uh, When I first came here, right, I didn't know a single person in this church. And, uh, you know, as I looked around, I'm like, gee, I wonder who you are. And I wonder who you are. And, you know, I wonder what your story is. And, you know, I wonder where you're coming from and and things like that. And so I thought I'd kind of ask this question uh, this morning. Can you define you? Not what you do. And not who you're related to, not how old you are, but who are you at the core of your being? How would you define you? And uh, the reason I kind of want to ask this question to kind of warm us up to the message today is because we come to Luke chapter 15 and the story of the prodigal son. I'm pretty sure you're all probably familiar with that. This particular story that Jesus told is a lot of people's favorite story the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, if you want to follow along uh, in the Bible. Um, The story is told uh, about a father and two sons. You know know the story. And, um, you know, uh, it's the third of three stories that Jesus tells right in a row. Uh, There's no other place in the Gospels where Jesus tells three stories, rapid fire, right in a row, and they're all about something lost right? Uh, The first is uh, about a shepherd who loses a sheep and he leaves the 99 to go chase the one. Uh, The second one's about a woman who loses 10% of her uh, money and she sweeps the whole house looking, searching to try to get her money back. And the third one's about these two sons who are lost. And I want to suggest to you that uh, both of these sons misunderstood who they were. Both of these sons had a wrong understanding of themselves. If we ask them the question, you know, can you tell me who you are? Can you describe you? Can you define you? Uh, Neither of them had the correct idea or the correct understanding of who they were, primarily because neither of them knew their father. You know, and in this story, right, the father represents God, and the two sons, I'm going to suggest to you, kind of represent Uh, the spectrum or the span of humanity. Uh, One son's kind of on one end and the other son's kind of on the other uh, end of humanity. Uh, And if we were to ask the younger son, you know, um, 
tell us about yourself. Define yourself. Who are you? Uh, we don't have to kind of guess because in Luke chapter 15 uh, at verse 18, uh, this younger son tells us who he thinks he is. Here's what he says. I'm going to arise and go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Uh, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This kid said, you know what? I've really messed up. I've made some really bad choices in my life. I've ended up kind of at the bottom. I'm at the end of my rope, uh, and I'm pretty much uh, done. Uh, and I'm starving. I'm hungry. And so I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to ask him if he would consider taking me on as a servant. I'm no longer worthy to be a son. How's this guy thinking of himself? Who is he at the core? Right? He's uh, a kid who understands that, uh, or doesn't understand, how much the father really loves him. And if we were to ask the older brother, you know, um, how would you answer this question? Can you define yourself? Uh, We don't have to guess about him either, uh, because we read in the scriptures, verse 28 and 29, uh, about him. He tells us how, who he is. He says, he was angry and he refused to go in and his father came out to him and begged him and treated him. Uh, but he answered his father, look, in these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your commands, uh, you've never even given me a goat, let alone a fatted calf, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who's you know, uh, devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fatted calf. Uh, what's, what's the deal? Who is this kid? Well, he's angry. He's stubborn. He won't listen to his father. He won't, you know, in fact, if you ask the question, who's he angry with? He's angry with the father. He's angry with his father. He's furious with his father who represents God in this particular um, parable that Jesus tells. And so these two boys, I want to say, you know, represent a different way of being separated from God. Two different ways of being totally separated from God and, um, and two different ways of trying to be accepted by God, loved by our Heavenly Father. Uh, I think in our culture, you might say that the younger brother represents the progressives in our culture, and the older brother represents the conservatives in our culture. And as you well know, you know, uh, there's two very different uh, opinions about uh, how that all works out, okay? And so um, I want to suggest to you uh, that you cannot know yourself without knowing your father, your creator, You can't really know yourself. Knowing yourself and knowing God always go together. You can't really understand who you are unless you understand who your father, who your creator really is. And uh, to know God, for example, as a sovereign God is to know ourselves then as subjects of this God who is the king and who is in control, right? And as rebellious or loyal subjects of this sovereign or in control God. Uh, To know God in his holiness 
is to know ourselves in our sinfulness. When we, as we sang this morning, when we think about the holiness and the grandeur of God and who we are, who are we? How would you define yourself? Well, if you know God in his splendor and in his sovereignty and his holiness, it begins to define who we are. If you know God as love, if you know God as love, you begin to know yourself as the object of his love. And I would say to you, you know, that really does change everything. The good news of the gospel of God's love for us in Christ changes everything in our perception of ourselves and of other people. If we know God, our creator, our father, uh, we begin to have the ability to know ourselves. If we know God in his wisdom, all of a sudden we begin to know ourselves in our foolishness, right, sometimes. And so you really can't know yourself apart from God is the only one who can kind of define these kinds of things. And without knowing him, and I want to suggest that these two sons really didn't know their father. And they had different ideas about what their father should be like. And uh, he was very different than either of them thought. By the way, the word prodigal, it just means reckless, right? It just means reckless. It means spending everything you have. It means, you know, throwing things to the wind, reckless. You just go for it. Go for the uh, gold, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I think this story, um, Tim Keller has written a book on this parable, a little book, and uh, he, the title of his book is The Prodigal God, The Reckless God. The God who threw everything at the problem of our separation from himself when he gave his son on the cross, right? John 3.16, God so loved all of us that he gave his most precious possession, his only begotten son. He's reckless, he's prodigal. And of course, the younger brother was a um, a prodigal son. If you... Have your Bible open in Luke chapter 15. In the first couple of verses, um, Luke defines for us who's in the crowd that Jesus is talking to. Who's Jesus trying to address here? And you'll notice there's two groups of people in the crowd in chapter 15, verse 1. One group is called the tax collectors and sinners. And, uh, you know, the tax collectors were not loved very much. Uh, I just had to pay taxes last week and, you know, met some of those people who take all that money. But... um, You know, these were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government in Jesus' day. And so the Roman government said, you need to collect this much money from that person, and anything you can get above that, you can keep. So you can imagine these tax collector type people that would go and try to extract as much money as they could from everybody. They weren't very loved. They weren't very moral, ethical kinds of people. Tax collectors and sinners... Uh, We're all drawing near to hear him. And then the second group in the crowd was the Pharisees and the scribes. And they grumbled. You know, they're watching what's going on. Uh, They're the religious leaders. They're your teachers and your lawyers and so forth. Two groups of people in the crowd. And um, uh, the sinners and tax collectors, in my opinion, are kind of like the younger brother. Uh, They have little regard for tradition, little regard for law and order, little regard for family, little regard for biblical morality, and so forth. And the Pharisees 
are the exact opposite of that, right? They're always asking what's right, what's moral, what's biblical. And, uh, you know, while the younger brother's just anxious to get away from home and get out from underneath authority and kind of like, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden at the very beginning, hey, you can be your own God. You can make your own rules. You can do your own thing, you know. And then there were the Pharisees who respected the traditions and, and the biblical uh, narrative and so forth, and uh, they honored family and so on and so forth. So they're very different. Uh, younger types, uh, however, notice this in the first verse. It says, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And you see this all through the Gospels, right? It's the sinful type that Jesus accepted that were drawing near to him. And you get the feeling that the Pharisees and scribes who are grumbling, they're kind of standing around the edges. They're observing and they're grumbling and they're critical. And they're not going to, you know, why? Because neither of them understood uh, their father in heaven. And I believe that Jesus tells this story to help both the wayward sinners or what we would call the outsiders as well as the religious moralists or what we would call the insiders uh, to help both of them know that they are both really loved by the Father. I don't know if you've ever lost a possession, something really important to you, you know, maybe you've got a new car and you lost the keys. And, uh, you, you know, you do everything to try to find the keys, right? And when you find them, there's a feeling that comes over you. It's like relief. It's like excitement. It's like, ah, yes, you know. Imagine God, our Father, losing his entire, the apex of his creation, the entire world of people that were supposed to be generated through Adam and Eve and losing them at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. When our earthly father, Adam, if you will, uh, chose to be separated from God. Um, What a uh, terrible situation for God. C.S. Lewis once uh, was asked a question, uh, what's the unique contribution of Christianity to all the world religions? And C.S. Lewis said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's the idea of God loving people with no strings attached, with no conditions. The idea of God loving people with no strings attached. It just seems to go against every kind of instinct, you know, uh, free of charge, God's grace. Only Christianity dares to love people before demanding anything of them. That's the Father's heart. In heaven. Uh, The younger brother, you know, just didn't know that about the father. He didn't understand God's grace. And so he had a very confused idea about himself, right? You know the story. If we start in verse like 11, uh, you can kind of follow along what happens here. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger said to him, to his father, you know, father, give me my share of the property uh, that's coming to me. And he divided his property between the two brothers Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields uh, to feed pigs. 
Now, for a Jewish kid to end up feeding pigs is about as low as you can go. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. So uh, that's his story, but then he has a a moment of clarity, and in verse 17 we read, uh, but when he came to himself... When he started to think, who am I? When he tried to answer that question, how would I define myself? Who really am I? Um, When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'm going to arise and go to my father and beg to be a servant. I'm no longer worthy uh, to be a son. And so, you know, he goes and um, he knows he messed up and so forth. And he figures he has to grovel, and he figures he has to prove himself. But you know what happens here, uh, beginning in verse uh, 20, let's say. Um, He comes back to his father, and his father is looking for him. While he's still a long ways away, his father is looking for him. And there's a song, uh, and there's a line in a song that goes, and the father's love is running after us. And so in a very undignified way, if you think of God in his glory as we uh, worshipped him this morning, um, the father sees this son far off, verse 20, and uh, he arose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced, and kissed him. But you're the kid who squandered my estate. You're the kid who divided up my household. You're the kid who made a mess of your life. You're the kid who wanted my stuff, but not me. But if you understand the Father's heart and the love, the Father's love goes running after this kid. And you know what he says. The Father says to the servants, hey, hurry up, quick. Bring the best robe, put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his hand and he's back in the family. Uh, Put some shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and uh, let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found and they began to party. Um, Do you understand your father like that? Do you uh, see yourself, when you think about yourself, I ask you the question, hey, who are you? Um, would you say, you know what, I'm somebody who's loved by the God of the universe. This God in the universe, I would suggest to you that the beginning of our understanding of who we are starts with accepting the fact that God who made us, our Heavenly Father, loves us unconditionally. And you might be like the younger brother. You might say, I don't deserve that. You're right. And guess what? Nobody does. And he is so far higher than us. But do you understand how loved we are by that heavenly father? And he's like, get the best robe and get, you know. uh, The truth is uh, about the father is revealed here and it reveals the truth about us. And that's why the gospel, if you embrace it, changes everything. Your whole perception of yourself. You might live in a world where nobody else is telling you how much you're loved, right? You might go to work and the boss isn't happy. Uh, You might have friends who have abandoned you and betrayed you. You might have school friends who bully you and all the rest of it, you know. 
And here's your father in heaven saying, you got to understand who you really are. You got to understand who you really are. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Listen, uh, the father's love is running after us. Um, God was in Christ reconciling the world of people to himself. God came from heaven running after us in order for us to be able to experience his love. He's chasing us down. He wants us to experience it. You know, nobody can reconcile themselves back to God. We're separated from God when we're born. Did I read that passage? If you go way back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 5, this is, uh, I think, neglected sometimes, but in Genesis chapter 5, it's a great uh, passage, foundational passage that I think helps us understand it. It says, um, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. We all understand that, know that. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named them man and uh, they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son, listen, in his own likeness. Do you see what that's telling us? That when Adam and Eve were created, they were creating the image and likeness of God. When they fell, everybody that came from Adam and Eve, including every one of us sitting in this room today, all of us, right? We all came into the world in the likeness of Adam. We all came into the world with a bent to be our own God, just like Adam and Eve. When they fell in the garden. And so, yeah, there are some... uh, nuances of the image of God that are in all of us and still traces of that. But the truth of the matter is we had separated from God way back then. And when we come into the world, we like to think about the fact that, you know, we are made in the image and likeness of God, but we are very unlike God. And that's why we sometimes have a hard time understanding who we really are. So, you know, uh, I would say to you that uh, nobody can reconcile themselves back to God God has to reconcile us to himself. And so the younger son thought, oh, I have to grovel, I have to make the grade, I have to prove myself and all that kind of stuff. And uh, God comes to him uh, in this parable, in this story, and says, no, that's not true. I love you. And uh, I'm going to embrace you and kiss you and uh, welcome you back into the family, put the robe on you and the shoes and the ring, and we're going to have a party and so forth. The younger brother couldn't grovel enough to be able to work his way back into the uh, acceptance of God. And the older brother couldn't work himself into a right relationship with his father. The father has to do it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And in this parable, you know, again, there's three stories right in a row here, rapid fire, and in each one, something is lost, right? And uh, in each, well, in the first two, somebody is searching Somebody searching to find what was lost. In the third parable, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, you would think that perhaps if the older brother understood his father, he would go out searching for the younger brother. But there's no indication in Jesus' story that he ever does. 
And the truth of the matter is this leads to uh, understanding that our true older brother, Jesus, came all the way from heaven to run after us with God's love so that we would understand what this younger person understood. He never got it from his older brother. It might be why he took off from home to begin with, right? If you live with an older brother like this guy, you might say, well, I'm out of here, you know? Um, But the truth about God is revealed here. Um, So our Heavenly Father, you know, has uh, lost his kids since Adam. And um, we, we all come into the world with the nature of Adam instead of the nature of God. And uh, the Father is running after us. He loves us, each of us, uh, and wants us back. Uh, it's, no young, it's no wonder that the younger types, right, flock to Jesus and come near to him and that the people who, uh, you know, stand off and watch this going on can become grumpy and even angry at the Father Uh, for the love that he so easily and generously and gracefully uh, gives away. So what gets in the way of experiencing God's love in our lives is not God. It's us, right? It's us. It's our resistance to God's love, which is running after us. If you listen here in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 7, After the uh, shepherd finds his sheep, look at this. Uh, Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who think they need no repentance. That's our Father in heaven, so excited about finding what was lost. If you go to verse 10, and the lost coin, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Right? Right? And if we go to the end, to verse 24, um, here in the uh, prodigal son story, uh, it's the same kind of thing. For this, my son was dead, and he's alive. He was lost. He's found. And uh, they began to celebrate. If you want to know what it feels like to be God, I wonder what it feels like to be God. I would suggest to you that when one of these lost, far-left, radical, loose-living people decides to turn back to their father and trust him, it feels like I just found my most valuable possession, my long-lost son or daughter, and uh, God rejoices. He tells all of heaven, hey, come on, we're having a party. Angels, get in on this. Let's go. We're going to do whatever it takes to celebrate the fact that one of my lost children uh, has come home. Listen up, all of heaven. There's joy in heaven, joy in the universe. God rejoices Uh, The story, this story, I think, corrects our ideas about what God's really like and changes over our understanding of who we really are. Now, the far right, the Pharisees and the scribes are scandalized, of course, by all of this. And so Jesus brings in the older brother to, I think, give voice to what the Pharisees and the scribes are actually thinking and what they're actually feeling, and Jesus puts words to it. Uh, They're scandalized by the fact that Jesus loves tax collectors and sinners. He loves people like Samaritans who are only half Jewish. He loves women of ill repute. He loves everybody. And uh, they had trouble believing that God loves those people. And so in comes the older brother to voice their grumbling. And the older brother expresses outrage, again, at the father. And he represents God in this, you know, 
scenario. He's mad at God because he thinks he deserves better. You know, where are you, God? I mean, what about me? You're making such a big deal over this prodigal kid, uh, loving and accepting him and bringing him back into the family, but what about me? And so we read like in verse 28, he was angry, right? He refused to go in. The father's saying, hey, come on, please, celebrate the, your brother's homecoming. Please, come in. It means a lot to me, your father. Please. But he wouldn't do it. He was stubborn. He was, uh, you know, not going to do it. He was angry. And, you know, it's kind of a tip-off sometimes. If you wonder where you are on this spectrum between the younger brother and the older brother, you might just ask the question, what does it take to get you angry? What do you think you deserve that you're not getting and that makes you angry? And if you're a person who gets angry easy, you might begin to think that, maybe I understand myself on that end of the spectrum and I don't have a clear understanding of who I am in light of being uh, a son or a daughter of the living God. Because God loves that person as much as he loves uh, the other, but that person is equally dependent on the father, not his own efforts in order to be reconciled to his father. So he wouldn't turn around. Basically, you know, salvation is just this father's love is running after us, and all he's asking us to do is to turn around and accept it. You know, we've got our backs to him. We're running away from him like the younger brother, you know, or the older brother who won't come to the feast of Jesus' love and won't come to the party. And all the Father is saying, and the biblical word for just turning around is repent. Just stop thinking that way and let the Father influence the way you think. Let the gospel change the way you think and, uh, and the way you understand yourself in particular. But he refused. He's angry. He goes out, you know. And so, again, the Father... He ran after the younger son, and he goes out to his older son as well. He makes the effort. The father's love is running after him, but he refuses uh, to turn around. He refuses to repent. Um, He doesn't know his father either, even though he thinks he does, and even though he thinks he's earned his way with him. And uh, that's the thing about the gospel. You know what? It does change everything when we embrace the love of God that's running after us. And Adam's way of thinking, and it probably influences the way we think a lot, uh, we would put the robe and the ring and the new shoes and have the party all on the older brother. He's really the good guy. Look at this guy. He's doing everything right. He's, you know, he deserves it. And, uh, but the father says, you know, that's not what's really important to me. What's important to me, I'm waiting to see who turns around. I'm waiting to see who repents. I'm waiting to see who understands me and accepts the love that I'm trying to uh, bring to them. God comes all the way from heaven in the person of Jesus, running after us in order that we might experience his reality. Uh, A kind of contemporary theologian, Karl Barth, um, you know, wrote big, thick books that seminary students had to read and uh, when he got all done, he all came down to one little conclusion. And uh, the question was asked, who is God? And uh, here's his answer, God is the one who loves. I'm like, why couldn't he just go to First John, read that, and be done? You know, so that we don't have to read these big, thick uh, things about, yeah, God is the God, the person, the God who loves. The elder brother types uh, think that their goodness and their decency is a way to merit a good life from God, but when life goes south, 
Um, I was listening um, on TV the other day to um, Rick Warren, and uh, Rick Warren was uh, answering questions about how he and his wife dealt with uh, the suicide of their son. And uh, he was saying, you know, I used to think that life went like this, that there were, you know, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, and you would, you know, kind of be up and you'd have a great time and then you'd be down and life would be miserable. But he says now, he said, I think that uh, I understand that life runs like on two railroad tracks, you know, and that there's good things going on in your life and bad things going on in your life at the same time. It's not like this. It's like there's, you can always find something good and you can always find something bad. And that God is using the bad to develop the good and using the good to address the bad and helping us to be equipped to help other people and advance his cause and his kingdom in the world. And I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, there's always something going on that could bring us down and there's always something going on that we can look to uh, as to how God is at work in our life. Uh, the good news is that God does go first. God initiates. God always goes first, right? You ever get involved in a marriage dispute and, uh, you know, well, when she does this, then I'll do that. You know, it's like, who's going to go first here? And we have this standoff for a while. Well, you know what? With God, he always goes first because he loves the most. He loves us. And so he'll go first. He'll sacrifice his son before he gets anything from us. He goes running after us, puts down his dignity, different than any other God that people worship. God goes first. He initiates the love. He comes out to both of the world's groups, the conservatives as well as the progressives, and he pleads with the most religious, moral people to turn from their anger and uh, to embrace the radical love that God has for every last person on the planet. God's uh, love comes first, and he loves free-spirited people as much as hardened religious types. So, um, maybe, I'm done, maybe, um, maybe you sense, um, you know, you need a change in your life, Right? What if this morning God's love was running after you, but in some area of your life, you've still got your back to him. You're not going to surrender whatever part of your life that you know, you're trying to hold on to and control or whatever. Uh, I would suggest to you that if you sense you need a change, maybe it's God's love that's running after you and trying to give you even more change that comes from the gospel. Don't stay outside the feast of the Father's love Turn around, experience his love, and discover who you really are in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pause here again uh, this morning. We're so thankful for you. Uh, you know, we all have different kinds of families, I'm sure. Uh, but we have a Heavenly Father who totally loves us, will sacrifice anything to get us back. And how tragic it is that so many people in the world just keep their backs to you and resist the love that you have for us in Christ. And so may it start with us this morning. May we just recognize when your love is trying to move us, Father, to uh, change something in our life, uh, to be more like Jesus. And uh, that we would cooperate, that we would yield, that we'd think of these two brothers and how different they are, and uh, just recognize ourselves uh, where we are on that spectrum and that instead of that, that we would uh, become more and more like Jesus in order that the Father would be pleased with us 
in every area of our life for all of eternity. And we thank you for that in his name. Amen.